everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as always, Jeff. Joining me from his final day in isolation up in uh, Seattle is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, the, the clock has almost run out. How you doing? I'm I'm good, man. I can't wait to get out of here. I, I, uh, I smell okay from what I can tell, but then again, I don't have a sense of smell right now. <laughs> don't Don't risk it. Just uh, take a French yeah, probably best. Take a French bath. Take a nice, get that uh, Axe body spray going, and yeah. get out of here and, and um, spend the rest of my week in the living room. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk some baseball history this week. What do you say? Yeah, you know what? I'm up for some baseball history. I'm I've been a little bored in this little room here. First of all, if you have not caught our last uh, our last two episodes, I would beg you to please go back and listen to those as well. We had a really great time. With, uh, with our crossover event with Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast, uh, we did the first part of 1990, the National League on their show, and then last week they were here for the second part, the American League, and that was a lot of fun. We've got a lot of good responses from that, and uh, well, uh, maybe, you know, maybe we can do something like that again in the future. That was, uh, I think everybody had a good time and enjoyed that, so uh, thanks again to, uh, to Andy and Mark. And I hope everybody else enjoyed that as much. But this week, it is a more conventional show. It is one of our Tales from the Dugout show, because I have been <laughs> I have been busy this week getting ready for baseball. So, Mark, we're going to just do a, a Tales from the Dugout. We've got some fun things to talk about. But first, would you say we take some BP? Yeah, I think we're going to need BP. It's been like a week. So last week in BP, I, I gave you a statistic about Hank Aaron and how many total bases he was ahead of the second place number and equated that into miles, which was pretty impressive. That inspired me to do something with somebody maybe we've talked about him before on this show. His name is Ricky Henderson. He is the all-time stolen base leader in Major League Baseball, if you don't know guessing there's nobody listening to this podcast I, that doesn't know. I'm, I've heard of him. I think you brought him up before. Or something. Yeah, I think, I think we might have done a show of solely about him maybe 52 shows ago, but nobody's counting. <laughs> uh, so, uh, of course, I mean, to me, it's ingrained. I think most people know he stole a lot of bases, 1,406 stolen bases in his career. Lou Brock is in second place on the all-time Major League Baseball list with 938. So I did a little bit of math, even though I went to a Pac-12 school, I broke out the calculator. That is a 468 base difference between the two, between 1406 and 938. That equates to 42,120 feet extra. Ricky, <laughs> Ricky is run. That equates to 7.97 miles. So just a hair under eight miles further when stealing bases <laughs> than Ricky ran than Lou Brock. What a crazy way to look at it. I like it. That's what is that? That's like a third of a marathon. <laughs> that is. is that is like Ricky getting an an eight mile head start <laughs> and just saying go. There's there's the gun. I thought that Pretty was amazing. that was kind of interesting. All right. Uh, this show is debuting on February 2nd. I have got a couple of things from baseball history that happened today that I wanted to mention. First of all, back in 1876, today, very big day in baseball history, the National League is officially formed. The National League, of course, is called the, I guess it's not called the, yeah, I guess it is the Senior Circuit, right? I know the American League is called the Junior Circuit, but yeah, the Senior yes. Circuit obviously because it was around longer. It was formed with franchises located in Boston, Chicago, Cincinnati, Hartford, Louisville, New York, Philadelphia, and St. Louis. The Hartford team we've talked about before, they were the dark blues. I'm guessing there was a light blues somewhere. They had to differentiate themselves. They will eventually play their second season in Brooklyn as the Hartfords before they officially disbanded. but So they were the Hartford Dark Blues. The second year, they moved to Brooklyn, and then as their team name, they just took over their former location. <laughs> so that would be like <laughs> when the Philadelphia Athletics moved to Kansas City, they could have been like the Kansas City Philadelphians. But I think the Phillies was already taken at that point. So yeah, it's kind of weird. 
<laughs> yeah. The Braves today, well, I mean, the Braves were in Boston originally, but they could have been, well, they could have been the Milwaukee Bostonians and then the Atlanta Milwaukeeans. <laughs> Just but, to make the old team feel like it's still part of the deal, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I've got some Brewer stuff coming up later today. And it has to do with them leaving. So let's just, that works perfectly. Let's get on to our next thing, though. Uh, Also today in history, February 2nd, 2013, in front of a raucous crowd of 87 fans, the California Institute of Technology Beavers baseball team snaps a 228-game losing streak, beating Pacifica. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but before this win, the Beavers' last victory came on February 15th of 2003, so 10 years. They had not won a Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference game since 1988. That was a span of 463 straight conference games that they lost. That's ridiculous. You know, but I mean, it's the California Institute of Technology. So while not as prestigious as MIT, well, I don't think they offer any scholarships for baseball, probably at the California Institute of Technology. And I think it shows. But congrats to them. I did not. Maybe I should have looked up how they've done since. But uh, congratulations. Huzzah. Way to go, CIT, on your victory. All right, so uh, let's get into trivia. I asked a trivia question last week, and we got a lot of answers again. I really appreciate all the interaction that people are giving us. We did have one person, uh, our buddy Chris from St. Louis. He is a a participant each week. He got it on the first guess this week. I will remind everybody of the question. Last week, I asked five times a player has won the Triple Crown but was not named the MVP. Who was the last player to be stiffed after winning the Triple Crown and not winning the MVP? Any any guesses, Mark? Uh, You know, this was a tough one, man. I um, and I didn't have really any time being locked in a room with a computer and a phone. Uh, but I didn't want to cheat anyway, so I don't have an answer. You're, no, you're going to have to tell me. No resources at your disposal at all. No, and no time. No. <laughs> you are locked in a room and forced to transcribe the ancient <laughs> scrolls on a manual typewriter 24 hours a day with no internet. Yeah. All right. So, it. I mean, I, I think we know of a couple of Triple Crown winners. Obviously, Miguel Cabrera was named MVP. He was the last guy to do it even in the near future, distant future. I'm past, whatever, I can't talk. Miguel Cabrera was not the answer. The the guy that I think of most, I don't know about you, when I think of triple crowns is always Ted Williams. Ted Williams actually won the triple crown twice in 1947 and 1942. Both times he was not the MVP. That is the answer. Ted Williams. That's what it doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? That he he twice wins the triple crown, probably the the hardest thing to do in team sports. And I say that because I mean, the triple crown in horse racing is very, very hard to win as well. Twice he did it and was not named MVP. The first time in 1942, Joe Gordon won the MVP. Remember Joe Gordon? He is a Hall of Famer. Certainly do not. Okay. <laughs> I, I honestly, the only the other reason I'm familiar with him is he was a second baseman for the Yankees, and he went into the Hall of Fame via the Veterans Committee in 2009 when Ricky went in with Jim Rice. So that's, oh, okay. that's why I'm more familiar with Joe Gordon than probably a lot of people are. But then also in 1947, Ted Williams lost again to another Joe that played for the Yankees, Joe DiMaggio. Gotcha. That is I've uh, heard of him. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to guess a lot of people have heard of him. But uh, Ted Williams, I mean, just I'm going to vote for Ted every time. Plus, Ted, you know, said some really great things during his induction into the Hall of Fame about the way black players were treated poorly and rallied for them. So Ted Williams uh, kind yeah. of everyone thought of him as a curmudgeon, but uh, he uh, he spoke out during his Hall of Fame ceremony also ted williams part hispanic not something that he oh, I didn't know that. often let people know about but yeah he was uh uh through i think it was his mother 
All right, let's get into our next trivia question. Uh, give you some time to think about. You might not have as much alone time, but you can still think about it. And I'm going to be honest. This is a softball. This is a question that I expect every listener to to get when I when I read this question. All right. The question right. is: Who was the last person ejected from both games of a doubleheader? <laughs> now I'm I'm giving again. This is a softball question, and I phrased it very specifically: last person to be ejected from both games of a doubleheader. I will let everybody think about that, and you can send me your answers, or you can just yell at the uh, whatever wherever you're listening to this podcast because this one should be a pretty easy one. That is it. We'll uh, we'll we'll give you the answer next week. But right now, Mark, let's go ahead and have the ground screw come out and finish up their stuff. And let's get into a, another episode of Tales from the Dugout. And let's have you go first, Mark. How about that? All right. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, it, the Astros have been very controversial lately because of the cheating. Uh, scandal that they've cheating. been involved in. Cheaters. Yeah. Cheating, yes, exactly. But I, I found a time where it was the Astros that were the recipient of the cheating uh, by the Cardinals. And this was in 2014. The Cardinals employees hacked the Astros database. Well, they were setting up um, to, to just completely transform the analytics department. And so what they did was they built a program uh, which had scouting reports, prospect development plans, trade discussions, everything. You name it, it was all connected through one big system so that everybody could access it that needed access. The, the Astros were kind of copying uh, some other teams that had led the way on this. The Indians had one called Diamond View. The Red Sox had one named Carmine. And uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, they were where Jeff Lunhau, who was hired by the Astros general manager to transform the analytics department, Jeff Lunhau used to work on the St. Louis Cardinals legacy system. Uh, it was called Red Bird Dog. The Astros called theirs Brown Control, which is kind of cool. You know, Houston. In 2014, this program got hacked from somewhere that they didn't know yet. They were There were all kinds of interesting stuff in there that got released to the public. For example, there were internal discussions about a trade for Giancarlo Stanton. The Yankees had actually offered Ichiro Suzuki to the Astros in 2014 spring training. The Astros did not take him. There was all kinds of crazy stuff. I have some quotes just from notes on trades. SF said they wouldn't include Mejia on top of Blackburn. AA texted JL and asked what a package around Stroman might look like. JL said Stroman plus ghosts would be in consideration. Stuff like this. You don't want to get out in public. You don't want the players seeing that you were thinking about trading them and stuff like that. This stuff goes public and the Astros have no clue what's going on. It was pretty clear that this had been hacked and that all this information came from there. And then they called in the FBI. The Astros got in a lot of trouble for their cheating, as you say, uh, but the FBI never got called in. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> that might make this worse. I'm just saying. So anyway, uh, the FBI comes in, they start looking around. They, they can't figure it out right away, but in early 2016, the FBI decides they're going to arrest the scouting director for the Cardinals, Mr. Chris Correa. Carlos Correa's illegitimate son? Could be. I looked up to see if there was any information, because it says he used to be a ball player in a couple of these articles, and I couldn't find any information or stats on him, so I don't know. Maybe he was a minor leaguer or something. Anyway, Chris Correa gets arrested by the FBI, and he's a former colleague, a co-worker of Lunau, and so what he did, <laughs> this is crazy, but what he did was he got into the Astro system, and he simply used the previous user's old password and to get into the Astro system. Hey, guess what? It was the same password. And I think it was one, two, three, four, five, which is the same thing an idiot would have on his luggage, but I'm not positive. And is also all of your passwords. You've just given it all up. Oh, I changed them all. I go five, four, three, two, one. Oh. No. Um, they, they figured he accessed the Astros database at least 48 times. Those are the times they could tell. So he, uh, who knows how many times he actually got into the system. He got the Astros draft rankings, scouting reports, notes on their trade discussions. He just, he stayed online there for a couple hours at a time sometimes. And then he, uh, in 2014, he did leak some of this to the website Deadspin, trying to embarrass the Astros um, 
it was a bit of a scandal then that's been basically uh, printed everything that they that he gave them, but wouldn't say who he was, of course. He said that his justification for hacking is that he believed that the Astros had taken the Cardinals' information with them when the guys left. There's absolutely no proof of that, no evidence whatsoever. The FBI found nothing, but hey, you know, the uh, hey, they did the same thing. It doesn't really work with the FBI involved. Korea went to prison for 46 months, and that is where he sat and rotted for, uh, until uh, his cheating scandal was had gone by the wayside. Uh, the Cardinals did get in trouble. They got fined $2 million, and they had to surrender two 2017 draft picks to the Astros. So they had to give them draft picks. Just to tell you how that all worked out, they took Corbin Martin and uh, J.J. Matijevic. Neither of them really worked out, so it didn't happen. They didn't get anybody super good to rub in the Cardinals' face or anything like that. Talking to Korea after he got out of prison, he said, uh, and this is, this is interesting, and I'm quoting here, while he knew he was doing wasn't right, he never thought that it could be a crime. It was all in the context of the game to me, he says. When a pitcher throws at a batter's chest, nobody runs to the local authorities and tries to file an assault charge. I'm not making excuses. I'm trying to explain where my head was at. As I now understand it, if another team does something wrong, you retaliate. That's the lens through which I mistakenly viewed it. That was kind of his deal behind it. Still, absolutely no excuse. It basically saying, hey, if we can throw a, a pitch to retaliate, you know, why can't I retaliate for them stealing information? Problem was, you can prove anybody stole any information. There you have it, the St. Louis Cardinals cheating scandal which resulted in the FBI getting involved and people going to prison. Not as bad as the Astros scandal. We've talked about Correa before because he was, sure, he spent time in prison, but he was also banned for baseball for life. He's on that. He's on that short list of people that are not allowed to ever work in baseball at any, any way, shape or form again. I, I remember when that came out because it was just somebody had a bad password, a weak password, and then somebody went to another team, and it's pretty easy to get in when you've got a username and password. Yeah, it's funny because I do keep the same passwords for different programs, and that makes me think, man, if somebody figures out one of them, yeah, it's interesting that he just used the guy's old password on the different system, and boom, it worked. Remember when we talked about Jellogate and uh, I... I forget who the Mariners manager was. Jim Lefevre was the manager at that point, and he threatened to bring in the FBI to to find out <laughs> who was who was messing with the Jello. But uh, yeah, that never happened. Only here. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, Mark, I I think you know this about me. I think maybe some of our longtime listeners know this about me. I love mascots. They are you know they're one of my favorite things to do if I go to a ball game. And if I can get a mascot to start the wave, even better. Some of my favorite things. Sure. Of course, sure, that, that is 100% <laughs> not true. <laughs> uh, you, sometimes your sarcasm is, is really deep, man, and cuts like a knife. I'm just saying. I, I dislike mascots. I dislike the wave. I am a fan of neither. But if I had to name one of my least hated mascots in baseball, I think I could Probably unequivocally say it's Bernie the Brewer. Bernie the Brewer. Yeah. Unlike a a lot of other mascots who were created through a marketing department, Bernie came about a little bit more organically. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. So the Milwaukee Brewers came about in 1970 after a lone season as the Seattle Pilots. That went well. Uh, Interest. Yeah, real well. Yeah, it did. Interest in the the city, though, was not exactly high for baseball. It had been a National League city, and the Braves left four years earlier for Atlanta, and it had really left a baseball-sized hole in the heart of fans throughout the city. Sure. Well, Milt Mason decided that it it was his job to plug that hole. And now that I say that... Now that I say that, that sounds wrong, but we're going to just keep moving on quickly. Milt was friends with the team's GM, Marwin Milks. And they came up with a plan for Milt to sit on top of the scoreboard in Milwaukee County Stadium until the until the team drew a crowd of 40,000 for a single game. 
So you've got a struggling team, not drawing, and you're going to sit somebody on top of a scoreboard until they draw 40,000. Man, that's how long I'm staying in this room. Yeah, they didn't draw 40,000 on opening day. And that's, you know, these days, usually the largest crowd of the year for most places. Yeah. The team hoisted a trailer up on top of the scoreboard. This is like one of those old, you know, old stunts, publicity stunts where someone would get on a billboard and stay there until something happened. Right. You don't really see it much anymore. But this was he was flat right. out. He wasn't just going to be there during a game. He was going to live there. So the team hoists this trailer up on top of the scoreboard. They give him a TV. <laughs> they give him an exercise bike. They, they give him a gas stove, a fridge, a telephone. I'm going to assume they gave him food, water, and a bathroom of some sort, though the article said nothing about it. I'm just going to make an assumption. There, Milt sat for the first two-thirds of the season. He would watch games dressed in lederhosen from his perch, and he would drink beer during most of the game, like the rest of the crowd. So August 16th finally rolls around. August 16th, there is only a month and a half left in the season, and Milt saw a light at the end of the tunnel. It was bat day. And uh, remember, teams used to give away full-sized bats to fans. And before the game, too. So before first pitch, you've got 20 or 30,000 people drinking beer that have full-sized baseball bats. Drunk people with weapons by the thousand. Yeah, so this is that just seems dangerous. But thankfully enough, plays no part in this story. But, you know, it's a giveaway. So he's thinking, all right, this might be it. A crowd of 44,387 attend the game. Milt is set free, finally. But it's not that easy, nor that spectacular, for a, a retired dude in Lederhosen to slowly descend from the top of a scoreboard via the stairs. So Milt ah. instead slid 30 feet down a rope in front of the scoreboard. No safety harness, mind you, just an old guy in lederhosen sliding down a rope slowly. <laughs> I, I, there is video of this, and it's, it's incredible because it is not a safe stunt that is being performed here. Yeah. So uh, this, this whole ploy seemed to work. Attendance picked up. Milt immediately became a folk hero. He could often be seen uh, around the stadium, walking around during games, drinking beer and talking with fans. I think this was frankly just a ploy for Milt to get free beer and see baseball. Yeah. But uh, can you blame him? It worked. Milt. I mean, I'd be all over that. Milt, unfortunately, would pass away three years after this stunt. The team posthumously made Bernie the Brewer their official mascot in honor of Milt. A chalet was constructed in the center field bleachers to replace the trailer, and a slide was added so Bernie could slide down it into a beer stein after a brewer home run or a win. Eventually, Bernie got a little lonely, so the team gave him a girlfriend, Bonnie Brewer. Bonnie only lasted a couple of seasons when things between her and Bernie started to get a little rough. She was Uh-oh. known to plant kisses on the cheek of the third base coach between innings and sometimes would even uh, give him a little tap on the rear end. So uh, Bernie, though, Bonnie. Re- yeah, Bonnie getting fresh. Uh, Bernie retained the chalet, though, in the split in 1984. The chalet was removed during renovations, though. You can still see it today at the Lakefront Brewery, which is kind of cool. If I am in Milwaukee again, oh. I might look that up. Bernie, likewise, was removed, and he was not seen for nine seasons. Then, just like Dick Sargent replacing Dick York as Darren in Bewitched, he returned, (laughs) but looked just a little different. When the new Miller Park opened in 2001, Bernie had new digs in the outfield and a brand new slide where he still is today. I'm guessing he was probably there last year because he would have been very socially distanced from anybody up there in his perch. But that is... Good mask. Yeah, big mask. That is the story of the only mascot that I will claim to to like in the least bit, Bernie Brewer. That's pretty impressive, dude. I had, I had no idea. Now, in saying that, are you saying you're not a fan of the Philly Fanatic? Uh, you know, I'm okay with it. As long as he doesn't come near me. He cracks me up. For, uh, for some reason, mascots gravitate towards me. I think they can kind of sense my disdain. <laughs> 
Moving on. Yeah. Hey. Um, so I, what I have is I, I've got a few baseball insults that I thought I would share because they made me laugh and they're a little bit of baseball history. So, um, what do you think, man? You want to hear my insults? I'm sure they wouldn't be the first time somebody's thrown an insult at me. Well, not on you, but, uh, you can prepare, pretend that you're, uh, Daryl Johnson here, who was the Boston manager who, uh, was managing the all-star game and he snubbed Baltimore's Jim Palmer and a newspaper man came up and he said, Hey, uh, you were, uh, you called Daryl Johnson an idiot. And Jim Palmer said, no, he was misquoted. And he said, I did not call Johnson an idiot. Someone else did. And I just agreed. Um, before a series, St. Louis manager Frankie Frisch instructed his pitching staff to avoid throwing Brooklyn's Tony Cuccinello, Cuccinello, sorry, a fastball. Izzy Dean objected. He can't hit my fastball. He begged Frisch to let him throw Cuccinelli a fastball. Frisch refused. With the game in hand, he relented. Dean threw Cuccinello a fastball. Cuccinello hit it out of the park. Dean turned to Frisch and said, by gosh, Frankie, you are right for once. <laughs> Which I'm sure softened the blow. Yeah. Uh, now, here's another misquote. Um, before the 1952 World Series, Brooklyn Dodgers manager Charlie Dressen cornered pitcher Billy Lowe's. And Dressen said, I see in the paper where you picked the Yankees to beat us in seven games. What is wrong with you? To which Lowe's protested, I was misquoted. I picked them in six. Ouch. Bob Gibson, known for his sarcastic wit, he was uh, roomies with Kurt Flood, who we actually had a show on. Uh, I don't remember which one, but it was one of them. He was watching him take batting practice, and Gibson said, man, if I could hit that way, I'd take off my toe plate and retire from pitching. And uh, Flood smiled. It was rare that he would get a compliment. And uh, Gibson continued, in fact, Rumi, if I hit the way you do, I think I'd also retire from baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Phil Rizzuto, quote, this is as insulting as a quote. I'll never forget September 6, 1950. I got a letter threatening me. Hank Bauer, Yogi Berra, and Johnny Mize. It said if I show up in uniform against the Red Sox, I'd be shot. I turned the letter over to the FBI and told my manager, Casey Stengel, about it. You know what Casey did? He gave me a different uniform and gave mine to Billy Martin. (laughs) And he says, can you imagine that? I guess Casey thought it'd be better if Billy got shot. So that that was helpful. Los Angeles third baseman, Pedro Guerrero. Do you remember him as a third baseman? Do not. Uh, apparently he was. So uh, as a third baseman, committed several hard-to-believe fielding errors during one game. And this was at the same time, remember, when Steve Sachs was having his fielding slump mm-hmm. and he, he couldn't throw a routine to first. In the post-game meeting, Dodgers man- manager Tommy Lasorda said, Guerrero, what are you thinking out there? Two things, Guerrero said. What's the first thing? Lord, don't let them hit the ball to me. <laughs> and what's the other thing, Lasorda said? Lord, don't let them hit the ball to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm look, I had to look this up. Uh, Pedro Guerrero, who I think of as a first baseman, wow, he played a lot of different spots. He, The first year he came up in 78, he only appeared in five games, but he played first base there. The second year and uh, his second and third year, he played right field, first base, left field, third base, and center field. Really? Uh, he also wow. appeared at second base in his third year. So, I mean, he kind of played everywhere. I, he never appeared at shortstop, but appeared everywhere else in the infield and outfield. Never caught, and he never pitched. Interesting. I remember him as a left fielder when I was a teenager. And my buddy Jason was a big Dodgers fan. And so we watched a lot of Dodgers, and I heard a lot about Pedro Guerrero. And I remember him being in left when Needenfear gave up that home run and he threw his mitt down on the ground. He was so mad. Yeah. He didn't handle it rather stoically. He just was mad. <laughs> anyway, another thing about Guerrero and his, his wonderful defense, he had, he was with St. Louis and he had no problems with manager's desire to put his uh, interesting glove in left field. And a reporter asked him, isn't that a mistake? To which Guerrero replied, it's already a mistake if the ball's hit my way. <laughs> See, at least he understood <laughs> Self-deprecating, I guess. Uh, Phil Mossy was catching one day when Al Javri faced the Giants. First three hitters all got hits on the first pitch. 
Casey Stengel comes out of the dugout, goes to the mound. He turns to Masi and says, what kind of pitches has he been throwing? Masi responds, I don't know. I haven't caught one yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This one's pretty funny. Uh, Pitcher Bill Worley got Bill Nicholson to hit a high infield pop-up in front of the mound. As trained, he called for an infielder to make the play. Eddie's got it. Eddie's got it, he yelled. Then he watched the ball fall untouched as catcher Eddie Fitzgerald, first baseman Eddie Stevens, and third baseman Eddie Bachman looked on. (laughs) Uh, Okay, uh, just a couple more. Uh, Told to get a statement from the Giants' Dominican players after Generalissimo Trujillo was assassinated in the Dominican Republic, a reporter came back from the clubhouse and approached his editor. They said they didn't do it. That's the answer. (laughs) Uh, And and for my final story, a little... We, we talked a little bit about stealing signs. Well, here's an interesting story about getting a sign. When Joe Pepitone first came to the Cubs, he told Leo DeRocher that he was fast enough to steal. So the first time he reached first, DeRocher decided to test him out. So he signals uh, first base coach, and this I love this name, Peanuts Lowry, and Peanuts flashed the sign to Pepitone, which was just a wink. All right? Pepitone did not take off. Lowry winked again. Pepitone stood there. Again, Lowry winked. This time, Joe Pepitone responded. He blew Lowry a kiss. And there's, there's my favorite insults and little stories for the day. That's got to be, that's a hard to see a, a wink from the third base coach. I would think yeah, you, I, I got to wonder that. But obviously he saw it if he blew him a kiss. Sure. <laughs> that's better than uh, than the Ricky Henderson uh, story when Tony LaRusa uh, Gave him the steel sign and then took it off. You know how you can wipe a wipe a sign sure. away, and so Ricky took that as takeoff and uh, took off for a second. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Go. Okay. <laughs> I like. I like. Maybe we need to have another quote show sometime. We've had one or two of those. All right. Well, uh, let us uh, close the crypt. That see, I keep calling it the crypt because I, I get tales <laughs> from the crypt in my head. Uh, let's oh. let's go ahead and close the the door on this uh, episode of Tales from the Dugout because it is now time for a segment that uh, we've uh, called from the beginning and we will continue to. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. All right, Mark, I have got a couple of packs in my hand here. This is uh, gonna be a, a, a hodgepodge because I've got a couple of loose packs here that I don't have matches for. So these are, I've only got one pack of each of these. So normally we open the same brand, the same year, but uh, I've got one pack of 1990 Bowman and I've got a 1986 Tops, which is, this is the the uh, the year that uh, Brad Belugian wrote his book about, so. Yeah, the black uh, upper half and border. Yeah, and and this is the you know he scored very high on our on our show when he uh, when he opened his own pack yeah. of eighty six tops. So, but we are yes. going to uh, we're going to be running the war uh, scenario today, and we're going to be using uh, the player's war from the year that these cards are from. So it'll be a little bit different. A couple of other rules: if uh, your player on the card is wearing a mustache, you're going to get an extra tenth of a war. If it's a Tom Selleck-like mustache, you're going to get an extra tenth on top of that. If you're wearing real stirrups, you're going to get extra tenth of a point of war. If you are wearing fake stirrups, we're going to minus uh, extra point of war because that's not a good look. Uh, also, if you are wearing uh, high tops, that's a bad look. Uh, as long as we can see stirrups with them. Uh, that's a bad look. You're going to minus a tenth of point of war. If you're wearing sweatbands that have your caricature, your jersey number, or a McDonald's logo on it, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing glasses of any sort, you're going to get a tenth of a point of war. And if you are now a Hall of Famer, you are going to get a whole point of war because you're a Hall of Famer. So, Mark, I've got uh, I've got these two. I got the 90 Bowman and I've got the 86 Tops. I am going to let you choose which one you would like to uh, represent yourself with. Well, I am very familiar with the 86 tops. So let's go with that one. All right, good. I wanted the Bowman. I don't remember the last time I opened a pack of Bowman. All right, so uh, let's look at the standings before we get into this. Mark, you have a pretty commanding lead. You have 11 wins to my seven. 
I think I've won one in like the last five. Quite the comeback. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a good one. It was two shows ago, and I'm very proud of that one. Uh, let's go ahead. I'm going to open yours first because I like to be the home team, and uh, we'll see what's going on. Now I do have a intact stick of gum here, and uh, there is a artist that does baseball work and puts art on these sticks of gum. So I'm going to start saving them when they're intact like that and send it to him so that he can do his magic with it. Well, that's awesome. Okay, so who are we looking for today? I mean, um, if I remember right, there's um, like an Eric Davis rookie, Barry Bonds. Uh, I don't know because this is okay. not, uh, this is not, we're not using um, Beckett, so I don't have it right here in front mm -hmm. of me. So we're going to have okay. to, we will find out as we go through, uh, we go through these. All right, so All right. let's start out. One of my favorite catchers and managers, current manager of my Oakland Athletics, it is Bob Melvin. Here he is with the Detroit Tigers. So uh, let's see what happens. So we're looking at uh, Baseball Reference War. We are going to use the year of the pack that, uh, that we're opening here. So this will be, we're going to be looking at 1986 Baseball Reference War for Bob Melvin this year. This was only his second year in the league. Uh, he had an okay year, though. He ended up with a 1.0 war, so he's a little bit above average. It's uh -huh. okay. I'll and, take that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a good way to start off. Nothing on this card is going to get you any, uh, any extra value. Next, we have got somebody that we have talked about before. I can uh, never say his name correctly, or if, if we ever get Eric Gagne, I will say his last name incorrectly. Here we've got Greg Gagne, spelled exactly the same. Greg Gagne, shortstop for the Twins. Greg Gagne in 1986. Uh, he uh, had a pretty good year. Played in 156 games. Um, struck out quite a bit, I'm not going to lie. Had 54 ribs, but I think Greg Gagne... See, I was about to say Gagne. Greg Gagne was... <laughs> really there for his defense more than more than his offense i think but uh year equates oh, he, he would hit you a few home runs he would hit you a few home runs you know well this was uh this was his fourth year in the in the league uh he did have 12 home runs which was his uh that was the second highest total but uh, that equates to a war of 0.8 so i mean Point you, you're at least going in the right direction this week so that'll bring you up to uh, 1.8. All right. Next. Uh, now we talked about this. Uh, we talked about, you mentioned a, a, an Eric Davis rookie card. I'm not sure that this is his rookie card uh, unless he didn't. He, he debuted in 1984. He also played in 85. He played in 55 ish hmm. games both years. So I'm not sure You're that right. this I is think his 85 rookie card, but it is an yeah. Eric Davis card. So that is always good news. Eric Davis. Yeah. We talked about him. He should have some numbers. In 1986, it was his third year, his first full year in the big leagues. Hit 277, had uh, 80 stolen bases. I'll take that wow. all day. 27 home runs and 71 ribs, uh, 143 OPS plus, and came in 11th. Uh, I'm sorry, 12th in MVP voting. Hmm. That all bodes very well for you, and that equates to a 5.3 war. I'll take that. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. So that'll bring you up to 7.1. And uh, that's just a good looking card because Eric Davis is awesome. Let's see if there's anything on this card. Uh, he's got sweatbands on, but nothing that's going to help you. And no mustache on the back here. Hmm. All right. Your next card is a uh, good old five for one. Five for one. Yep. <laughs> is, is this your Mike Greenwell? Is, is this your new? Uh, is this your new one dog? You forgot. You forgot the nickname of Five for One. Is it Mike Greenwell? Uh, it's Von Hayes. Von Hayes. I knew that. Yeah, I know you knew <laughs> that because we've talked about that many times. But yes, good news for you is Von Hayes had a great year, probably the best year of his career this year in 1986. Led the league in runs with 107, led the league in doubles with 46, hit 305 with 19 home runs, 98 ribs, and a 133 OPS plus. And that equates to a 5.0 war. 
This is a, oh, wow. This is a good pack for you. You're up to 12.1. Um, there is nothing on this card that's going to help you out, though. No glasses, no mustache, no sweatband, and can't see his stirrups. It's a good uh, good card. You're, you're definitely doing well here. Next, we've got a Brewer's Leader card. Um, so this, I want to say... I don't know who that is uh, on the on the front of the card. That does not look like Robin Yount. And it does not look like Paul Molitor. And it does not look like Gorman Thomas. Brewers leaders. I, I just looked it up. Let's see what we got here. Charlie Moore. Charlie? Really? <laughs> okay. Charlie Moore, huh? All right. So they've got all these future Hall of Famers and Cecil Cooper. And Teddy Hagera yes. and Raleigh Fingers and Danny Darwin. And they went with <laughs> Charlie Moore. All right. Brewers leaders, Charlie Moore, let him in something, apparently. Bold strategy there, Tops. Let's see how that works out. So uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look up well, should I look up his numbers? I mean, this isn't really his card, but we'll we'll do it anyway. Charlie Moore in nineteen eighty-six. He was 33, one year away from retirement. He hit 260, and I failed to see what he could have possibly led the team in, <laughs> unless it was double plays grounded into. Which should get you a spot on a baseball card, right? Yeah, especially a, a leader's card. Uh, let's look it up, though. He did still manage to get a 1.1 war. Wow. Uh, and then if, if we look at it, he does have real stirrups on and he's got a mustache. So uh, that'll get you wow. an extra two tenths of a point and that'll bring you up to 13.4. All right. This guy pitcher for the Reds. We've talked about him several times. We brought him up on our National League part of the 1990 review a couple of episodes ago. We talked about his venture across uh, to the rooftops of Wrigley Field. It is Lefty for the Reds, Tom Browning. Browning could have had a good year that year. Yeah, I think his perfect game was in like 87 or something. I'm not sure exactly when it was. 1986, he led the league in games started with 39. He was only 14 and 13. I don't think the Reds were very good this year. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. Uh, ERA plus of 101. So he was right at the, uh, the league average. Let's look at the war for, I still managed to come up with a 2.1 war. Um, and he does have real stirrups on. I can see just the top of them. So that'll get you a 2.2 addition there. Brings you up to 15.6. Next pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, Frank Williams. You got me on that one. Yeah, I am not familiar with Mr. Frank Williams. He's the only player in Major League history to be named Frank Williams, I'll tell you that. Uh, nineteen eighty six record. Yeah, nineteen eighty six he went three and one, only appeared in well, in thirty six games. Uh not a big strikeout guy, thirty three strikeouts in fifty two innings. Uh all of this equates to a war of one point eight. Wow. Uh, I'll take that. Yeah, nothing uh, nothing on the card that's going to help you out there. Next, we've got, oh, this we've got something to talk about, but it, we'll, we'll have to do an episode on it. Here he is, pitcher for the Atlanta team. It is Pasquale Perez. <laughs> now, oh, yes. Now, was, 19, was it 1984 or 86, the big brawl between the Padres and Atlanta? I'd be guessing. Yeah, it must have been 84 because Perez appears to have been injured in 86. He did not play. So it was not that year. But I, I want to talk about that brawl because that that game was something else. Uh, that yeah, le- I just looked it up. It was it was 84. You're right. Yeah, that, nice job. that game led to the uh, one single day in Major League Baseball where the most number of players were ejected throughout the league. I think it was like it was like 18 and 17 of them were from that game. So we'll have to talk about that sometime. Uh, You don't get any value here, though, because he did not play this year. I'll give you a tenth of a point. I can't tell. He usually had a a little wispy mustache. I can't tell from this, but uh, I'll give you one. 
Next, this is a jokester, and this is a guy we probably need to look into. We know Tommy Lasorda name-dropped him on that episode of Chips we talked about a while ago. (laughs) It is pitcher for the Dodgers, Jerry Royce. Jerry Rolls-Royce. Jerry Royce pitched for a long time. Jerry Royce pitched for 22 years. In 1986, he was 37 years old, and he looks like he's about 67 in this picture. But wow, he pitched. And on the back of this card, I need to get my reading glasses on. And he pitched five more years after this card, too. I mean, it is just microscopic. He debuted in 1969. Wow. He was around for a long time. In 1986, though, he did not have the best year, a minus 1.5 war, which was his worst of his career. Really, Jerry? Yeah, but he's got a bit, you know, I'm even going to go with Tom Selleck-esque mustache. So I'll give give you two tenths of a war there. So you're only going to minus 1.3. That'll bring you to 16.2. Next, we've got a pitcher, a lefty for the Mets. He looks just like Frank Viola, but it is not. It is Tom Gorman. I do remember Tom Gorman. He was, wasn't he a, a brewer his whole career? Well, here he is on the Mets, so he so was... I guess not. <laughs> uh, and he actually never appeared for Milwaukee. <laughs> he played I'm for thinking the... of someone else entirely. Well, you might be thinking of Gorman Thomas. Is that me? <laughs> not Tim Gorman? I don't know. He did play for Milwaukee. So 1986 uh, was, his, was Tim Gorman's lone year for Philadelphia only appeared in eight games and that equates to a war of a minus 0.3 but he's got real stirrups on so that'll only be a minus 0.2 but you're you're stuck in reverse here next another pitcher mm-hmm. for the Mets this is a ooh, it's a rookie card and it is a very good pitcher who became a very good closer Rick Aguilera gotta remember Rick Aguilera so uh, Rick Aguilera. Wow, I did not know Rick Aguilera went to BYU. BYU's had a lot of uh, I did not know that a lot of major leaguers uh, go through there. Remember we talked to Vance Law, who played at BYU, also coached at BYU. Nineteen eighty six for Rick Aguilera. Is that this is his rookie card? It's actually his second year in the league. He went ten and seven both of his first two years, uh, mainly as a starter. What team did he play for? The Mets. He came up with the Mets before. Oh, I re- okay. I remember him as a twin for years. Yeah, he was uh, he was the closer with the Twins. Uh, it, you know, that's where most people I think will probably remember him from. 1986. He did end up with a WAR of point oh or point uh, four. He does have real stirrups yeah. on though, so that'll get you a point five. That'll All bring right. you up to sixteen point five. Next pitcher for the Mariners. It's Matt Young. Ah, uh, yes. So I remember Matt Young. He was just another one of those guys that they brought in, and he did a tolerable job, so, you know, he stuck around. He was a lefty, too. Uh, yeah, na- that helps. 1986. Well, he led the league in losses the year before with 19. I remember that. He had, like, almost 20 losses, and they, they sat him down so he wouldn't get 20. <laughs> they stopped him just to the nick of time. This year, though, he did go 8-6. and six. They did. So uh, a little bit better rebound year. That equates to a war of 2.0. Wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah, nothing on the card's going to help you out there, but that'll bring you up to 18.5. Next, you've got a Hall of Famer. Your first one It is a Yay. guy we've even mentioned earlier in the episode. He went in in 2009. It's not Ricky Henderson, and it's not Joe Gordon. Can you name that Hall of Famer? Apparently uh, not. Was it on your part or mine? <laughs> it's Jim Rice with the Boston Red Sox. Oh, sure. Uh, nicknamed Jim Ed. I don't know what that refers to, but okay. 1986. Rice spent his entire career, all 16 years with the Red Sox. 1986, he came in third in the MVP voting. He hit 324, 384 on base, and a 490 slugging percentage. That equals a 137 OPS plus 20 home runs, 110 RBIs, RBI, I'm sorry. And that equates to a war of 5.6. He's a Hall of Famer and he's got a mustache. So that will equal a 6.7 war for you on that card. Very nice. Jim Rice, ladies and gentlemen, scoring big. 
Next, we've got another leader's card. This one is with the Bucks, and it appears to be, I want to say that that's Rick Roden. I'm fairly certain that that's Rick Roden. He's got a nice mustache. He's got some real stirrups as well. Let's see. So Rick Roden in 1986 went 15 and 12. I guess this is, uh, we should have been looking at that other card, the uh, Brewers card. These are 1985 leaders. This is an 86 card. Oh, sure. Still, there is no, uh, uh, it was not listed on the back of that Brewers. (laughs) Uh, Rick Roden, though, in 1986 went 15 and 12. Not bad. It's weird. I remember Rick Roden is a Yankee, but he only, only played for the Yankees for two years. But yeah, the, I, I remember him as a pirate. Yeah, um, but also Yankee. Yeah, he um, he was a workhorse. He was going to give you two hundred plus innings every year, no matter what. Yep, that, you know? it, that is a good observation there. All this equates to a six point six WAR. Wow, Rick, nice. Plus, he's got a mustache. Uh, he's got a good mustache, a two tenths mustache, and real stirrups. So that's going to give you a 6.9 war on that one. Whoa. Yeah, that brings you up to 30. That's all I need. 32.1. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. This is a special card where there are three different versions of this guy's card on here. And it is Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Not in the Hall of Fame. Yep, you're not going to get, uh, you're definitely not going to get Hall of Fame bonuses here but now uh i I said there's three cards on here you can only see his stirrups on one of them so (laughs) so i'll give you an extra tenth of a point for stirrups on that but uh no mustache or anything else that's going to help you let's see what he did in 1986 this was his final year as a player he appeared in 72 games only hit 219 and had an ops plus of 61 so I'm going to guess he's not going to help you out too much here. That equates to a war of minus 0.9. You'll get the one stirrup, so that's a minus 0.8. And that will bring your total to 31.3. And he was back with the Reds then, wasn't he? Yeah. He was uh, final three seasons he spent back with 31.3, the 31.3, I can take that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good hefty total there. Let's see what I can do. I don't believe we've ever, well, I know we've never opened Bowman before, but let alone a 1990 Bowman. Let's see what I can come up with. Uh, some gum in here, but it's got a little chip on it. I think, didn't Tops make Bowman? Oh. I'm not sure. Yes, Tops made Bowman. So uh, let's get these out here. These are some interesting looking cards. I was never a big Bowman fan. Are they the tall Bowman? Uh, no, they're normal size. I know what you're thinking about, but, uh, they do have a rainbow border around them, which just doesn't, and then they're tinted. These, the, the pictures are tinted. It's really not a good look. I'm going to start off with a San Francisco giant center fielder. It is none other than Brett Butler. Oh, Brett Butler. What a, what a legend. That guy, he could get on base, man. He would bunt, he would walk, he would do anything. He was incredible. Like great center field. Lifetime on base percentage of 377. OPS plus lifetime of 110. Could steal some bases. Was a, a decent outfielder. Led the league in caught stealing three times, but he also led the league in hits, runs scored, games several times, and walks. Uh, 1986, he was. Uh, this is inter. Oh, I've not done. <laughs> we need to look at 1990. This is a 1990 set. I was immediately going oh, to 86. Uh, 1990, he was with the Giants. He led the league in plate appearances and hits. So let's see what that equates to me. That will start me off with a war of 5.0. I'll take it. Nice. Nice start. Yeah. Nothing on this card is going to help me, uh, cause it's just a headshot. Uh, next, we've got one of my favorite Berman nicknames, pitcher for the Astros, Jim, two silhouettes on Deshays. Nice, nice. Loved him to say. Big fan. Uh, so Jimmy at this point, uh, his nickname is just listed as JD, but we'll, we'll stick with two silhouettes on Deshays. 1990, he went 7-12. Not a great year. Uh, struck out 119. 
uh, did start 34 games, so he was at least durable. All this equates to a war of 3.0. I'll take that. Nothing on the card's going to help me out. Not bad. Next, uh, next we've got, oh, I got, so I got a pretty good pitching staff so far. Next uh, starter for the Bucks here, it's Mr. Doug Drabeck. Total legend, that guy. Just an awesome pitcher. Drabeck pitched for the Astros at one point, too, didn't he, in the later part of his career? Yeah. Yes. 93 through 96. Then he went to Chicago to the White Sox and then finished up in Baltimore, neither of which I remember. But uh, in 1990, this, this bodes really well for me. Very well. Oh, that was me. his huge year. Yeah. yeah, this was his Cy Young year. Went twenty-two and yep. six with uh, an ERA of two point seven six, uh, one hundred thirty-one strikeouts. Just a good year on a good team, and all of that equates to a WAR of four point two. Andy's got a mustache, so that's four point three for me. There, I'll take that all day. Nice. Three cards in, and I'm up to 12.3. Next up, Thanks. we had uh, you had this guy. Now I've got him. It's Eric Davis. Uh, Eric the Red, back again. Yeah, now this is good news for me because, uh, this, you know, this is the uh, this is year the Reds won the World Series, and he had a good year. Yes. Hit 260, had 24 home runs, uh, was injured for about a month, but uh, still had 21 stolen bases. In 1990, all of that equates to a war of 3.3. Plus, he's got a mustache so that'll give me a 3.4. Nice. That's yeah, good. Doing all right, man. Good news when you get two Eric Davises in in two yes, packs. It's a good day. All right, this guy we've talked about not the greatest human being. Uh, overran a fly ball in left field at Cincinnati and caught it with his bare hands. It is yeah. Kevin Mitchell here with the Giants. He could hit. Can't say a lot of good things, but he could hit. Yes, he did did have the power. And in uh, 1990, he was still with the Giants. Had a good year. Uh, he was an MVP the year before. This year, he hit 35 home runs, 93 RBI. Had a 150 OPS plus. All of that equates to a 4.1 WAR. And he has got a mustache, so that's a 4.2 WAR. Wow, I, this these another good score for you. Yeah, this is a really good pack. I'm up to 19.9. Next, we've oh, yeah. got pitcher for the Cubs. I remember him more with the Orioles. It's Mike Bilecki. Mike Bilecki. Yeah, yeah, I remember him as an Oriole. Uh, let's see, Mike. For a while, like 10 years. Uh, Mike Bilecki, 14 years. Yep. In uh, 1990, he was with the Cubs. Uh, this one year removed from the Cubs making the NLCS. Had a down year, 8 and 11. The year before it, he went 18 and 7, and the two years after it, he went, well, the year after it, he went 13 and 11, but 8 and 11 here uh, this year, probably not going to help me out a whole lot. That equates to a war of 0.3, so at least it's in the positive and nothing on the card that's going to help me out. Next, uh, we go to a pitcher for the Angels who I do not remember. It is John Orton. Uh, oh, from uh, the WWE. I don't, do not think well, this Cowboy is Bob. Cowboy Bob or Randy. I do not believe. Uh, let's see. 1990, he was 20. No nope, no relation to, to either of them. Well, at least baseball reference isn't going to tell us. Uh, he was a, uh, what position did he play here? He's a catcher. He's a catcher. Yeah, appeared in uh, 31 games, hit a buck 90. Why do they not call it the uh, John Orton line? His career average is 200, right on the nose. There you go. Uh, there you go. So uh, a war this year of a minus 0.1, but he does have some real stirrups on, so that will make that a wash. Um, now I'm going to put this next card aside for you. It is not a player card. It's just a piece of art. On the back, it's actually a sweepstakes entry, but on the front is uh, none other than Mr. Nolan Ryan. Nice. This is a nice-looking card. You might want to punch in the old Google machine there, 1990 Bowman, Nolan Ryan. Uh, That's a really good-looking card. That's the kind of card that if you get that autograph, that would be a really nice-looking card. Let's see, 1990. Nolan was 43, yet yet he still went 13 and 9 and led the league in strikeouts for the final time with 232. 
He uh, he was a freak. Yeah, he also led the league in in hits per nine. I'm assuming that means the least hits with 6.0 per nine and a 10.2 strikeout per nine. And wow, look at that. His whip was 1.034. That's awesome that it ends in 3.4, but also that's an incredible whip for a starter, let alone a 43-year-old starter. Yeah, when he was dominant, he was as unhittable as anyone I've seen. So that'll get me a 3.5 edition there. Nice. Yeah, sorry, I'm sure you don't mind, but there was just a little, like a five-minute tangent on Nolan Ryan's 1990 season, just 43 years old, and he that's incredible. Yeah. All right, next we've got, uh, his nickname is Spider-Man. Remember Spider-Man? Here he is with the Blue Jays. Sure, uh, Peter Parker. Close. This is a baseball history podcast, so I am, of course, talking about Glenn Allen Hill. Oh, same thing. Uh, only different? Yeah. Sure. So Glenn Allen Hill here in 1990. It was his second year in the big leagues. Uh, just okay. I had an OPS plus a 93. So he's just around that average mark. A minus 0.1 war. But uh, he does have a mustache. So that'll be a wash there. Next, we talked about him last week with the BBBA guys. Because uh, he was on the same team in 1990 as uh, Candy Maldonado. There were two candy men. Here he is, Tom Candiotti. Here with Cleveland. All right, so 1990, Tom Candiotti with that knuckleball went 15 and 11. Not uh, not too bad. 3.65 ERA. I'm just curious. Let's see how many wild pitches he had in 1990. <laughs> Only nine. Yeah, that's acceptable. I wonder who was behind the plate most of the time. Probably Sandy Alomar Jr. He was the rookie of the year that year. Sorry, that was 120 career wild pitches, by the way. That's uh, quite a bit. Uh, let's yep. look at his war it was 2.8 there. Nothing on the card is going to help me out. So that brings me up to 26.5. Next we get, oh, wow. This is, uh, this is not a good look here, but he is a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer with the Expos, Larry Walker. Ah, the great Larry Walker. Gotta love him. So you know that famous Greg Maddox rookie card. I think it's a Fleer, and he's got that porn stash. Looks like a high yes. school mustache. That's what Larry Walker has got going on here. Oh, ugly. Nice. Yeah, not a good look. But, you know, he, it's a mustache nonetheless. He's a Hall of Famer, good old booger. 1990, his uh, first full year in the big leagues, hit 241, had 19 home runs, 15 RBIs, a 112 OPS plus. All of that equates to a 3.4 war. Plus, I'll get 1.1 for the mustache in the Hall of Fame. So that will be a 4.5. Wow. Uh, so I am at 31 already. You you right. finished with 31.3. I have got four cards left here to just Ooh. hopefully I can go forward and not backwards. Um, yeah, I'm hoping for a list of tacks right here, please. So here is a guy that I only know this piece of trivia because I think I've brought it up in the last two shows. It's Jerry Goff, father of <laughs> Los Angeles Rams uh, quarterback Jared Goff. Yes. So we know uh, we know he didn't have a great career around for six years. In 1990, it was his rookie year. He hit 227 with the Expos. Not much power. Had OPS plus of 85. All of that equates to uh-oh, a war of minus 0. 0.6. <laughs> so, oh, oh, that was on the way. So this is one of the great parts about using war as opposed to Beckett is you can go backwards. And I, I have just done that. So that takes me down to 30.4 <laughs> with three cards left. I'm getting nervous. Next, we have got uh, first baseman for the Reds. It is Hal Morris. Hal Morris. Sure. I remember uh, Hal was pretty decent. First baseman, and uh, was he a lefty? Uh, Hal Morris was uh, indeed a lefty as a first baseman. Well, okay, now I feel confident here. This was considered his rookie year. He came in third in the rookie of the year balloting. He hit 350, had an OPS plus of 136, had seven RBI, uh, seven home runs, 36 RBI. All of that equates to a war of 1.8. Uh-oh. Yeah, so right there. Another comeback. That will put me at 32.2 with two cards left. It's getting... getting I got to hope one of them is uh, 
What's his name? Bob Schlobotnik? <laughs> Joe. It's Joe Schlobotnik. Schlobotnik, yeah. All right. Well, let's see what we get here, because this is a this is a, a three true outcome kind of guy before it was in vogue. Here he is with the Brewers. It's Rob Deere. Rob Deere. The man could hit home runs and strike out, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, so let's see how war treats him here in 1990. Uh, here he is, his final year with the Brew Crew. He struck out 147 times and did not lead the league. Uh, he hit 207. He had 27 home runs, but only 69 RBI. That does equate to a 1.1 war, though, and he's got a mustache. So that'll give me a plus 1.2. That helps. I think that might have put me over the top. 33.4 with one card left. And uh, I'm going to get two two tenths of a point of war regardless for this mustache. For catcher with the Yankees, it is Rick Cerrone. I kind of remember Rick Cerrone. He was a backup. But I do recall a killer mustache. Yeah, he's got a good stash. I remember him because he was on the Yankees a lot when Ricky was there. In 1990, he did hit 302. Not bad. OPS plus of 99. So he's right about league average. All this equates to a war of 0.9 plus the two for the mustache. That'll get me a 1.1. And uh, I'm digging it here. That's uh, two contests in a row I have won. I come in with a 34.5 compared to your 31.3. And uh, I will yep. I will take it. That will bump my win total up to eight versus your 11. And I'm within striking distance. That was uh, that was a good oh. one. See, I've gotten I've gotten cocky. I think I'm resting on my laurels. I got to pick it up. Yeah, well, I'll take that. That was a good one. That was a uh, good episode of Wax Packs Heroes. A close one. We had some good cards there. I would I, I might go back and score yeah. yours and Beckett just to see because you had some good cards in there with the. Uh, Mainly with Eric Davis, the Vaughn Hayes might be yeah. worth something as well, but be interesting to see. And the Cole Nolan Ryan art. Oh yeah, I want to see what that's worth in this Pete Rose. See what those are worth. All right, so that'll uh, that'll wrap up this edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Also a good place for us to wrap up this episode. We'd like to thank everybody once again for listening. I'd like to remind you, it really does help if you tell people about our podcast. If you want to rate, review, leave us uh, some sort of comment on wherever you're listening, that is great. Also, remind you that you can get a hold of us. You can follow us. We post on social media at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise about Twitter and Instagram, mainly on Twitter, but also on Instagram sometimes. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube if you want to just search for us on YouTube or look in the show notes. I've got a link there as well. Mark's going to tell us how you can get a hold of us the old fashioned way through email. One of those electronic mail addresses is Two Strike Noise. Spell it T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. Uh, that'll do it for another episode. And uh, Mark is going to be let free tomorrow. So hopefully he'll be good. And uh, we will see you next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>